0: Welcome back to Rav Pinson's Podcast, where ancient wisdom meets modern man. This episode was sponsored by our podcast team. In honor of a sweet, happy, and healthy new year for all our listeners, today's episode is Rosh Hashanah edition Q&A, and the fourth in our Q&A series.
1: All right, our first question today is, what is the significance of blowing a shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Moreover, why 100 blasts as opposed to 30 or why not 101? Why is it that this sound in that quantity plays such a powerful role in cultivating our new year?
0: Okay, that's uh, obviously a very big question about Rosh Hashanah. Yes. So we have to understand a little bit what this, how this works. So there's a, the reason for the 100 sounds, there's like a technical reason, which is the halakhic reason. And that's a, like a, a little bit complicated, but I don't want to get into the whole details of it. But basically, the Torah speaks about the blowing of a cult, a truah, Yom Trua yilachem, the day of trua should be for you on Rosh Hashanah. And the word trua, trua means, means a sound of, a sound, a, a type of sound that's created through a shofar. And it says it three times, uh, with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it says it three times. And therefore, the sages say that means that we have to read, we have to blow this sound three times, this broken sound of, of a trua. Um, but that's, so the original idea is to blow it three times. The sages also say, Chazal tell us, the sages tell us in the Talmud, that every sound of the trua, which is like this broken sound, has to have a tekiah before and a tekiah afterwards, which is a blast before and a blast afterwards. So in total, that becomes nine sounds. Okay, so you have nine sounds. The problem is that the, the sound actually of the true which is a broken sound, there was different customs of how that sound sounded. Was it broken into tiny little short bursts of sounds or were they sh- longer bursts of cryings? One, one was called classically called a shvarim, which is a broken sound, which is three longer shorter sounds, or a true which is nine smaller sounds and there were three different customs here. I know this is technical. One custom was that that you blew the sh the sound, which is three smaller sounds. So you, you blew a tkia, a blast, three small sounds, a blast, and you did it three times. One was that you blew a tkia, a blast, and a trua sound, which is nine little smaller sounds, and then a tkia. So blast, nine small sounds and a blast third custom was that you did both a shvarim and a trua. and it came a certain period in time the time of rebel which is a time when after the destruction of the second base of english after the temple and certainly after the time when jews began to be dispersed throughout the world so Ravua was Metakin it was set up and established that all communities should do all three practices so like this there'll be consistency of practice so the total number instead of being nine, if you add all those other two, it turns out into 30 sounds. That's how we get the original 30 sounds of the shofar. okay so from three to nine to thirty, that's how it developed. And in that itself, there's also different variations of that of when we blow these 30 sounds. do we blow them before before them, either before the prayers? Do we blow them during the prayer during the silent prayer? do we blow it during the repetition of the prayers? then you have, total of 90 and you, at, at the end of the conclusion you end up coming up with 100 sounds that's like the technical halachic you know law based reason for that but there's a deeper reason for the 100 sounds which is also brought down in uh, it's actually brought down in the medrash in the classical interpretation of the rabbis the the rabbis say the sages say this a conceptual idea that a, when a mother is about to give birth when there's a birth about to happen so there's the pangs of labor there's the pain of the release of the child and a mother and this is not this is, this is a metaphor also for all types of release for all types of creativity when something's about to be released everything that has to be released before there's like this expansion of release whether it's music or art or creativity any form of, of release of, of creativity there first there's a sypsson which is a contraction there's a state of like concealment or contraction and, and 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 like sort of like a like a darkness almost where you're you're contracting in order to release something and in the contraction which is the symsom the the contraction the withdrawal and the contraction so this the the rabbis the sages imagine this as 99 sounds of the mother or the creative about to create something, the pain of trying to release. So it's the process of getting, you know, one, every cry is, is one step further for the release of the child, for the baby, for the creativity. And then the hundredth sound represents the cry when the child is actually released. That's like an euphoric sound of release. So there's a 99 sounds of the pain of the, of the process of being released, and the hundredth sound that's why the final sound of the of the shofar is the um, is the sound of atkelela which is a great loud sound which is a triumphant sound the sound of finally that the, that the baby has been has been has been released so the process of birthing this new year is we take actually birthing this new year means that there's a birth of self in the new year which means that the old self in comparison to the new self that will be born in this coming year the world that we will live in in this coming year will be a new a radical new me a new a new birth of self so in the process of the birthing of self we go through the same idea of the 99 cries of about to be born which is almost a, a pain of knowing of I, you know, obviously I'm male, so I can't, ex- I can't exactly explain this, but let's we'll listen this the sound in terms of creativity. You have an idea that you're about to release, but it's not coming out. It's not, and there's a lot of angst and a lot of anxiety. That you need to release it. That's like the 99 sound. And then the final push is where the sound is, the, the, the baby is the, the child, the music, whatever is, is being released, the creativity is actually being is released. That's the euphoric sound. So there's the pain of trying to get it out, and then you finally get it out. So the, the process of the birthing of self parallels the same idea. So therefore, we take a shofar. And a shofar has a lot of different imagery that the word shofar is also connected to um, to shifro, shavaparaz and Vlad when it talks about the, 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 the maid, the, the wet nurses, that um, the birthing nurses that helped the, the, uh, the people of Israel that caused all the birthed in, in Egypt. One of the names was Shifra. Shifra means because a blood. It, it beautifies the child. So is connected to this, this birthing agent, this, this that helps the allowance of birth, and the Shofar itself. If you look at the actual structure of the Shofar, the Shofar itself represents a birth canal. So it starts off, I mean, a from a constricted place, which is literally where you put your mouth. So it's it's a, it's a smaller space, and then it expands slowly and it expands outwardly, and the sound comes from the place of the expansive part of the of the Shofar. That's the birth from, the, from the, the canal, from the smaller space, opening up into the bigger space. So much so, this is actually not only a technical reason that we blow the shofar that way, because it's easier to blow from the smaller space to the bigger space, but according to your the, shalmi, to the Jerusalem Talmud, if you flip it around and you blow from the wider space, you blow the shofar, you didn't fulfill your obligation. Technically, if you can get a sound out from the other direction, you didn't fulfill your obligation, because the idea of the shofar is that it has to come from that... From that space, it has to come from the constricted place, and then it, the release finally into the into the larger space. This is what we say on, on Rosh Hashanah. We say the idea of we continuously pray and say these words: "Hayom harasayim." Today is the the pregnancy of the world. That the world is pregnant with the possibility of birthing itself, and we are in a possibility of birthing itself. But the Avudram others say that the word harasalam, the idea of, birth, of pregnancy, also can refer to birth. That ayyyam harasalam today is the birthday of the world. Today the, 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 there is a birthing of, of, of the creation. Therefore, we blow. Remember, we talked in the beginning, we said that there were nine sounds. That, um, that the nine sounds, the nine main sounds, right? Three times with key and before and after. So the nine to say for a of the early commentaries say that the nine corresponds to the nine months of, of pregnancy. So there's nine months of pregnancy. That's why you also say nine verses in the in the in the in the, in the verses that we speak about, Machas and Shafirs, what we speak about in the prayers, the idea of, of the nine months of pregnancy. And then finally there's the release. So this is this is the idea of in general, this releasing from the from the space of the constriction to the space of expansiveness, and that's done through a cry. The cry of the cry of birth, and in general, we start the year we start the year with this with this sound, because one of the you know when a child is born, let say for if using this image, when a child is born, if God forbid a child is born and doesn't doesn't cry, so the first thing that they do is that they give a little spank to the baby because they, they want the baby to cry, because crying the idea of, of, of vibration a movement of tenua is represents life. Silence, silence, which represents the state within the womb, is when the child is within the womb. is a place is, is a place of silence. That's why after one hundred and twenty, a person enters a, a, a different world where there's no longer movement. It's called as Yor de Duma, the world of Duma, of silence. And the angel of death is called Duma, silence, because life represents movement and vibration and expression. So we we the the idea of Beginning beginning this the, the new year is we're going from the place of, if we're the baby itself, so to speak, we're both the mother and the babies in, in this analogy. We're both the one that's giving birth and both the one that's birthing. Because we're giving birth to ourselves, that we we, we give birth to our own selves. So in, in the image of us giving, giving birth, we're crying of the pain of the symptoms, of the contractions, in order to finally release the new me. And saying that, you know... Uh, you know, I, I've gone through all this in my life, and this year is going to. I want to change. I want to be different this year, and there's there's some pain in that in that process. There's there's some um, constriction in that process of of recognizing that I'm not living up to my potential, and the, and the yearning to live up to my potential, and trying to break through all the the doubts and uncertainties that don't let me become my full potential. So that's the first process of the ninety nine. The sounds of the chauffeur and finally the sound of the, the hundredth sound is a triumphant sound is like I'm birth I'm bur- I'm, I'm born I'm, I'm I'm born again into this into this new year and I'm I birth myself obviously with the, with the strength, the power of the of the creator that I'm birthing myself into this into this new reality to the new potential of myself that's going to be revealed in this world and that's the sound of the hundredth sound of the blow in terms of us being the baby that's actually being born we're going from a place of silence where we're the quietness of self because our self is not yet being expressed we're sitting sort of like in this symptom state contract, contracted space that we're not yet fully expressing our full potential and the comparison to our potential that could be born into the next year the year that we just live now is silent I mean it's not it's not teeming with life and teeming with vibration and and, and energy so the, the the process of beginning the new year is with this process of the expression the the like the the exhaling, exhaling ourselves into this coming year. To say that now we're, we're present and we're going to be fully alive and vibrant. Now, not Duma, not silent. We're going to be fully, fully expressive in this, in this coming year. That's the birth of the self within the final blast of the triumphant sound of the final sound of the shofar.
1: Thank you. Our next question is, why is there an emphasis on symbolic foods on Rosh Hashanah? Apples dipped in honey, head of a fish etc why food and why the names of the food
0: I guess the names you mean uh, why because the names are presented for things correct mm-hmm. so so this, go, this this is actually uh, something that already says in the in the, Gemara, says in the Talmud and the Gemara says it's twice once in Chrysus and page Vavalef 6a and once in Hayrius at the end of he mm-hmm. says you know, and it's interesting that the, the Gemara over there, the, the Talmud, the way it phrases it, is Abaya says, one of the great sages of the Talmud says, that now that we establish that simon and Mil-Sahi, that the idea of an omen, it has value. It talks about different things that are in, related to that context, of, related to the types of omens. It says that, therefore, in the beginning of the year, we should, in one version in, of the Gemara in Christus, it says lemechol. Therefore, we should eat certain foods, and in the other version in HaYirus, it actually says We should see different foods. So it's not about eating, it's just about seeing it. There's another version in the Rand that says you should bring it to the table. Doesn't not seeing it, not seeing it, it should be brought to the table. Now, what what's the reason for these foods? We'll talk about it in a second how this works. So Rashi, the classic commentator over there, says that the reason why the Talmud then the Talmud lists the different types of foods that we do. So Rashi says there that one of the reasons is, the reason is because these foods represent foods that quicken to ripen. So therefore it represents like a blessing that's coming in quickly. Or other commentaries say that these are foods that represent, that not represent, that actually have a sweet taste. So it represents having a sweet year. Um, and then the more traditional way of understanding it, the way it's colloquially understood today, is that these different fruits that we eat Or apple and honey, whatever the fish, whatever the foods that we eat, they represent because, in their name, they represent they have some connection to what we're trying to create. So, for example, um, we eat ruvia. Ruvia is is a fennel Greek. It's like a type of herb, but it says this is what the sages say. We eat the idea of a ruvia, this type of herb. Why? Because we eat ruvia, because it should be marba, we should, ruvia in Hebrew comes also from the word roiv, in Hebrew, which means a lot, so we should have a lot of merit. So therefore, we eat this food that is, should have a lot of merit. But the, uh, the shallah, a classic uh, Kabbalistic commentator, in the 1600s, the, the Shallah Kaddish writes that um, that if you take the word ruvia, which means a lot, it should merit, we should merit, have a lot of merits, you can also say a lot can mean a lot of sins. Like, you know, why does a lot have to be a lot a lot of merit? So therefore, he says, and he brings down also the Miri brings this down that it really means that you should you should have intention when you eat it to pray and the Davan say this this food symbolically represents something that's sweet, ripens quickly, and represents in its name something that says a lot. So therefore I'm going to pray. That I should have a lot of merit this year, and I should have a meritorious year to follow. So, it, the, the idea of the eating, eating is a very visceral way of, of intake. So, you're taking something from the outside, you're, you're bringing, like you're you're bonding it, you're becoming, you're becoming into, your, into into your body. So, it's a way to say this idea is symbolic of this concept, whether because of its sound or because of its the way it looks or the way it tastes or, you know, whatever, however you understand it. And because of that, it awakens within me a certain response. So the, the omen itself is not something inherent within the thing that has, like, you know, magical power, but it's more this, this, this eating of this type of food will remind me of what I'm actually praying for, what it, what it should be doing to me. So it's a symbolic way of reminding myself in a very physical way to do it. This is one way to understand the idea of a simon. A simon is like an omen. But there's also another way to understand it, which is a little bit different, which is that there is this concept of rooting blessings in something that's physical. So we find this, uh, the Ramban talks about, Nachmanides talks about this with regards to prophecy, that certain times you see that the prophet has a certain prophecy about what will happen. And then he goes ahead or she goes ahead and actually does something physical in this world to represent the process of what he just experienced in a prophetic state. So if you experience, like in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks about that the fall of Babylon, and he says to take a scroll and throw it into the water, and just like the, the scroll falls into the bottom of the water, same thing, the Babylonian kingdom will, will fall, which means that there is, there is a certain, when we receive blessings, let's, let's, just, let's just think about it this way, when we receive a blessing, let's say, for, for healthy a healthy new year and a good year and, and all the things that we need in this world to function as, as healthy and the holy spiritual human beings, for the coming year, we receive them first on a spiritual dimension. First, they're like, there's a download, so to speak, in a spiritual realm. And then from the spiritual realm, it then becomes manifest into the physical realm. So what we're doing when we, when we eat foods that represent blessings, of course with our intention, because after we're saying, like the said, not said, it should, it should be a lot. A lot of what? should be a lot of blessings in our life. When we do that, we're tying the spiritual world with the physical world. So what we're doing is we're trying to draw down, to say, everything that we received on the spiritual world realm, on on the on the, on Rosh Hashanah on the days of Rosh Hashanah with with through our prayers, and we receive all these blessings on a spiritual realm, we're going to concretize them. We're going to draw them down into something that's physical, and therefore we're able to draw down from the physical from the spiritual realm into the physical into the physical realm. So that's sometimes we do something like in a very embodied practice. So it's not just I'm doing something in my mind. I want to have a lot of merit, so I'm going to think about that. What it means to have a lot of merit. I want to. Um, Cast away my negativity, so I'm going to do that in my mind, which is really where it really occurs. But sometimes by doing something in a physical, manifest place, let's say doing the idea of tashlich, like going to a physical space and like literally emptying your pockets into the in this body of water, it's it's a symbolic act, but it sort of facilitates this process of drawing down something from a spiritual realm and it drawing it down into the very tangible and physical space. So that's really the the, the emphasis of what we're doing. With apple and honey and all the, cust- all the different various customs that we're doing. Our Rosh Hashanah is to draw down from the spiritual and like root it down into the physical world.
1: Thank you so much. Our next question is why are there two days of Rosh Hashanah? We utilize the same exact liturgy, meaning we're praying the same thing on this in two days in a row. What are we aiming to accomplish on day one as opposed to day two?
0: And vice <laughs> versa. OK, so this again is a, there has a, there's an alachic, there's like a, a law-based understanding of this practice, why we have two days of Rosh Hashanah. And then there's a more primious, a more inner reason for why we celebrate two days of Rosh Hashanah. And one is like from the perspective of the vessel, one is from the perspective of the light, from the oil and the clay, from the light in the vessel. So there's a technical reason why we celebrate two days of Rosh Hashanah. And it's interesting that this idea of celebrating two days of Rosh Hashanah is not just something that's done in the diaspora, in the Chutzlar, it's outside of the land of Israel, but is also in the land of Israel. And it was not only done um, after the times of the Besam English, after the times of the Temple, but was done even in the times of the prophets. In the book the Nehemiah, according to Rashi, it's actually they, really, they were already celebrating two days of Rosh Hashanah, in Yerushalayim, in the times of the of English, in the times of the Temple. So that's, a, that's an old custom. And the reason for that is, um, in, in, in very quickly, it's a complicated issue, but in, in very short, is that the new months, because Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month, right? It's the first day of the seventh month. New months was not, was not established through a calendar years back, but it was established through witnesses coming and testifying that they saw the new moon um so therefore normally if let's say the let's say the the is the holidays in the 15th day of the month let's say like or 14th day of the month like pesach and sukkahs and those yomtevs the the they, they established the the seeing of the new moon they came to the high court which was in jerusalem in jerusalem they came to the high court they established they that today is the first day of the month so you know when 14 days later was exactly when it happens now, since Rosh Hashanah is actually the first day of the month, it's kind of complicated because mm-hmm. on the 30th day of Elul, which is the previous month, right, so technically you could see the moon the night before or you couldn't have seen the moon. That's the possibility. That's why we're waiting for two witnesses to show up. So let's say it's the 30th day of Elul, which technically can also become the first day of Rosh Hashanah. At what time, could the, the witnesses show up? The witnesses can technically come until the end of the day because if they don't come to the end of the day, then automatically, the next day becomes the first day of the month. You're following this? Mm-hmm. How this works? So the 30th day of the previous month could still be the 30th day of the previous month, but the 31st day will definitely will definitely be the first day of the next month. So if witnesses don't show up in this in this time period, you know, in this 12 24 hour time period, 23 hours, you know, then the then the next day will be automatically the first day of the new month. Are you following this mm-hmm. this analogy? Okay, so witnesses come uh, in the morning. Let's say in the 34th day, and they come to the high court in Jerusalem and they say, Today is the today, we saw the moon last night. So they say, Perfect, today's Rosh Hashanah. So, therefore, in the temple, in the base of English, in the temple, they did all the services they had to do on Rosh Hashanah. This special offerings they have to the do Rosh Hashanah, special songs that were sang by the, by, the, by the on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So, everything that was a service was done as a service of Rosh Hashanah. So, you celebrated one day Rosh Hashanah. People that lived a journey of a few days away. For, for two witnesses to, to come and tell them that they, they, that they sanctified the new moon on that day would have to keep two days of Rosh Hashanah that day because they wouldn't know which day is the first day of the month. But in Jerusalem, if the witnesses showed up in the morning, it wouldn't be a problem. What happens if the witnesses showed up two minutes before the day is over? Now technically, if two witnesses show up two minutes before the day is over and they say we saw the moon last night, this day was Rosh Hashanah past tense, mm-hmm. and they only have two minutes left. So they couldn't do the offerings, they couldn't do the the and Bashir, they couldn't sing the song, the correct songs, but they would have to be the two minutes of Rosh So th- this was a problem, you're following, this was a problem. So what yes. the sages did was they said if, if witnesses can come till midday about, they cannot come after midday, even though technically, according to the Torah law, they could come until the end of the day. But because it would mess up the whole idea of how we served in the, in the temple, they said you cannot show up that day. So therefore, if witnesses did show up after the hours that the that the rabbis established, he can You couldn't hear the, you couldn't testify for the seeing the new moon. What they did was they said today will continue as the day of Rosh Hashanah because we started already celebrating as Rosh Hashanah, and we'll just finish it. And tomorrow will be the real Rosh Hashanah. We'll celebrate as Rosh Hashanah. So therefore, two days of Rosh Hashanah was already an idea that was. Many, many thousands of years back, that's the way it was practiced. Okay, that's just the exoteric, that's the technical halachic understanding. But there is a deeper understanding. And the deeper understanding is as follows. Outside of Israel, in the diaspora, this is according to most opinions, the ritva, whatever. According to most opinions, this is the way it works. In Israel, wherever Jews live, it's always a one-day holiday, not Rosh Hashanah, a one-day holiday of Pesach, one-day holiday of Shavuos, one-day holiday of Sukkot, always one day. Jews that live in exile, in the diaspora, it's always two days. So De'ari, and uh, De Ari explains this idea at great length, and it's explained also in Derechot many different places explain this and the way it works. The, the idea of exile means there's a separation between something, so if you say there's, there's, let's say, the physical world and the spiritual world. In the place of, of unity, this physical and the spiritual exists simultaneously. In a place of exile, these two divide into sta- separate states. So there becomes one type of, when you say that a yomtiv, a day of holiday, is when there's an elevation, aliyah, there's an elevation of that day. Instead of being in a mundane day, it becomes a sacred day. So normally the, the physical part of the day and the spiritual part of the day are elevated in the same time. That would be the elevation of the day. But when talks about when it talks about um, when it talks about um, outside of Israel, so then there's an elevation on the first day of the spiritual realm, and then on the second day there's an elevation of the physical realm. So it's divide. Because the whole idea of exile, is separation, it means that we're outside of the space. It's a process that takes two days, one for the spiritual, one for the physical. So therefore, the Ari says that with Rosh Hashanah, there's a verse that says that it's a day of it's a day of judgment. And judgment generally refers to food, physicality. And Mishmah, there's a judgment for the God of Jacob, which represents the the judgment of the spirituality. So Nairi says that the first day of Yom Tov, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, is a day where we're judged for our spirituality, which is also connected to the world of Leah, um, one of the matriarchs. And the second day of Yom Tov represents our judgment for all the physicality that we're going to have for the coming year, which represents the matriarch of Rachel. One was beautiful on the inside, one was beautiful on the outside. One represents the physicality, one represents the spirituality. So the spirituality is on the first day, and the physicality is on the second day. Which which means, at a practical level, this means like this. On Rosh Hashanah, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, since we're receiving the blessings for for the entire year to come up, that will unfold that will unfold. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, our meditation, our focus, on our kavana should be how do we receive our pinimias, our inner life? That's a spirituality. Spirituality also refers to, to our mental state, our emotional state, our spiritual state, how we everything that's going to unfold in our, in terms of our inner life, which will be revealed and unfolded throughout the entire year, is the kernel of that blessing we receive on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So all, all the things that are relevant to our inner life, how, are, how have we have relationships with our, with our parents, with our children, with our siblings, how are we with our friends, how, we have, how, how do we interact with people, how do we feel about ourselves, how our, what's our mental capacity, what's our spiritual elevation, everything, that, everything in the inner person's life, in the panemius person's life, in the inner part of life, is focused on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. That's why it's Leia. the inner world, the world of thought. This is also, incidentally, another reason why we do only the simanim. We do the the these omens only in the first day of Rosh Hashanah, according to most opinions, not the second day, because Leah receives the simanim, the sign from Rachel, so Rachel doesn't have the simanim. Mm-hmm. She takes the sign when she's when she's she's intimate with Yaakov. She receives the signs from her, from her sister, um, to, so she should pretend she pretends to be actually Rachel. So. The first day is, 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 is Leia, is spirituality, our inner world, our inner life. And the second day of Rosh Hashanah is all the blessings that we're going to receive for our physical life, for, for our manifest life in the physical world, for all the sustenance that we're going to have, and the pranasa and the, the livelihood, and the physical life, and the physical health that we're going to have, and for our family. So everything on the physical level is received on the second day. So this is why the process takes, takes two days. So, the, so again, so this, the external reasons for a technical reason, but the spiritual reason is because the unfolding of this intense light that's drawn down on Rosh Hashanah is first received for our, for our spiritual well-being on the first day of Rosh Hashanah and for our physical well-being on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And then we have to articulate them throughout the year and draw down all the blessings into our life.
1: So then why? Yeah. how, how do we approach this when the avoider seems to be similar, if not rather the same, the two days. I guess, except for you were saying the omens, right. the simon, and we're not necessarily doing the second day. But with the davening more or less being the same, how, how, do, we, how a, do we approach it?
0: It's a, it's a good question. I would answer it. The very simple way to approach it is to actually recognize your, your, yourself in the second day. There's something about the second days of everything. If you do something for the first time, there's always excitement. First time is always exciting. So Everyone's always, you know, it's, it's the first time I'm going to do this. Tonight's the, the night of Rosh Hashanah. I'm, I feel passionate. I feel desire. I feel like I'm really excited about the first night of Rosh Hashanah. The first day I hear the shoifer, I'm, I'm really into this idea of blowing the shofar. Th- that's the way normal people feel. There's a, there's a certain chesha, a certain desire, a certain openness and lightness and, and, and excitement when something's done the first day. When you do sing things the second time, there's always like eh, I just did this yesterday, and really, can I feel the same excitement of hearing the shofar today as I heard it yesterday? Could I really be so impassioned about the prayers that I did today as I did it yesterday? But here is where this is where the the physicality of it enters, because because excitement and and passion is all the inner is is a, is part of our inner life. That's like our inner life. So that actually happens on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. The second thing of Rosh Hashanah is, could you really do it physically? Could you go through the motions physically in the same way like you did it yesterday? And if you could, that means you can draw down the blessings on the physical level. Let me give you a, another analogy of this. Let's say a person is like falls in love with someone. And I, I love you, I'm going to be committed to you. Okay, excellent, beautiful. And it's the day of the wedding and the person is really a big mensch. Okay, how about it's 10 years later? Could you still do that? if you can still do it in the physical place without actually feeling, maybe you're not feeling the same thing you feel before, and even your mind doesn't have the same thoughts that you had before, but you're committed to this relationship and you're going to do it anyways, that shows that you're drawing down the blessings of the relationship, or you're concretizing the relationship in a real way. So that's what happens exactly on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, you shouldn't say, can I be inspired the same day, the second day like the first day? Maybe not, but that's the point. So the, the it says that, that I will not fear. Uh, okay, I will not fear the idea of snow of coldness, because my house because my house is filled with doubles. This is the way it's understood. What that means is, you know, coldness and and and, and lack of enthusiasm means I've done it already. So I'm not enthusiastic. But that I'm, not, I'm not afraid, why? Because I know how to do the second times. People that know how to do double, people that know how to do the second time, those are the people that really can bring it down correctly. A person wants to be very successful in this world and wants to create, let's say, music and, and does it like that one time. Wow, and it's amazing that time. But then the next day you have to sit and like, you know, grind and like make sure that the, the mics are in the right place and the musicians show up. I don't want to do that. I want to be enthusiastically passionate about creating music. But that's not really that's that is really the first day of, that's the inner world of, of the music. But if you want to be successful in life, you actually have to do the grinding. You have to do the the the, the schneid, You have to do what the repetition when you're not feeling it and you're not having the same passion. So in in a, in a in an in in interesting way of thinking about it, just by sujstelling, I don't know if there's a good word for this, but just by putting yourself forward on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Just to, I am present and I'm going to do this fully like I did it yesterday, even though I don't feel the same excitement, even though I don't feel the same passion, but I'm going to put myself physically in this, in this state, that's the way you really draw down blessings physically. So that's not only that your inner life becomes satisfied and your, your enthusiasm and your mental state and your emotional state is in a correct state, but even your physicality becomes aligned with that. That's a deeper reason what Thierry is saying, that the the blessings of the physicality comes from the repetition. So doing it again is where it's really at. Could I really draw it down into the physical level? Hmm. Thank you very much, Ralph. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ralph Pinson's podcast. To submit questions or to sponsor a future episode, please email ralphpinsonpodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the description below. To learn more from Rav Pinson about Rosh Hashanah, you can find his book on Amazon entitled, A Call to Majesty, The Mysteries of Shofar and Rosh Hashanah.